Economies around the world have been shaken by the COVID-19 pandemic and underscored serious vulnerabilities and weaknesses. What can we learn from today's crisis to build more resilience into our systems? My name is Robert Blazyak, and with me today are two distinguished experts on this topic. Liesen Schulz, the director of Stockholm Resilience Center's Executive Program for Resilience Thinking, and Sturla Henriksen, special advisor to the United Nations Global Compact, the world's largest corporate sustainability initiative. Together, we will be reflecting on what this pandemic has taught us about the vulnerabilities in our supply chains and economies, and discussing what can be done to build more resilient systems in the future. How much have we learned over the past months, and what is yet to come? Welcome to Rethink Talks. So today, I'm really excited because I'm joined by two people who never fail to inspire and excite me, Dr. Liesen Schulz and Mr. Sterlich Henriksen. But I'm not going to introduce you because I know you know yourselves better than me. So please, I'd like to turn first to Sterle, who's joining us remotely from Oslo, Norway. Sterle, who are you and what are you working on? That's, thank you, Robert. That's a very existential question. First, <laughs> thanks for for having me uh, me on uh, on this uh, this podcast. Uh, so, uh, in my current position, I'm a special advisor Ocean to the UN Global Compact. Uh, I'm a general economist of academic training. I've spent uh, most of my professional career as an executive in the nexus between. Uh, global uh, between politics and business, uh, between global market uh, uh, trends and policy developments on the one hand, and and on the other, uh, business strategy and uh, um, uh, commercial decisions. So half of my career, I've been in the sort of uh, maritime uh, executive, and uh, I sometimes uh, say as a, a fun fact that I'm uh, uh, I have a bottom up perspective as well, uh, since I'm a scuba diving instructor in my spare time. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, that adds three or four lines to your biography that I was unaware of. So thank you very much for that, Stola. Um, before we dive into the conversation, I'd like to also uh, welcome our guest in the studio, Dr. Liesen Schultz. Liesen, who are you and what do you work on? So I'm a sustainability scientist uh, with a PhD in systems ecology. And I'm really passionate about creating spaces where knowledge and action can meet. And my research has really been on, on leadership, learning and collaboration in real world initiatives where people come together and try to manage ecosystems for human well-being. And I'm also the director of our executive program in resilience thinking that I developed and uh, am running at the Stockholm Resilience Center since a few years back. I'd like to turn first to Sturla. One question, Sturla, you didn't dig into it so much in your opening statement, but you're involved with the COVID-19 task force of the United Nations Global Compact. And I know that the private sector is now grappling with issues related to COVID-19. Could you share a bit of your thinking about how to launch this task force, why it was initiated and what it's doing? What are its main focus areas today? So um, uh, the UN Global Compact uh, first is uh, the world's largest uh, corporate sustainability initiative, 
has a membership of 10,000 plus companies and 4,000 civic societies organizations and is the UN's main body for cooperation with, uh, with the international business community. And it's chaired by uh, the UN Secretary General, uh, Antonio Guterres. So um, uh, in the ocean, we have uh, it, the ocean as such has a separate action platform where we are sort of addressing how the ocean can contribute to the 17 sustainable development uh, goals on the broad range, which uh, for all practical purposes means how do we both preserve the ocean and produce more of food, energy, transportation, medicines uh, from the ocean. Now, as if the pandemic struck, uh, we um, convened uh, the members of the action platform, which is a sort of 40 odd members from the business community, research institutions like your own, uh, Robert, and uh, from uh, the most prominent UN regulatory uh, bodies. And what we did was to say, how can this sort of unique cross-section of stakeholders, insights, competencies, contribute to some of the uh, challenges that we are imminently facing now uh, due to the uh, pandemic. So uh, uh, that sort of, um, uh, in that vein, we uh, initiated a set of, of sprints. One was addressing uh, the uh, ocean supply chains, which I believe we will uh, discuss a bit uh, uh, later. Mm -hmm. Another is uh, uh, addressing how the finance uh, sector can um, contribute to building back better uh, in the uh, after the com uh, pandemic, and uh, uh, one uh, which was uh, headed by yourself, Robert, and we are extremely um, uh, impressed by the work that you and uh, Stockholm Resilience Center did in that regard, uh, is about how we can use the ocean. Uh, as a reason, uh, and the ocean um, genomes uh, for biomedical applications uh, uh, to develop uh, uh, COVID-19 vaccines. For instance, uh, uh, Remdesivir is one of the only, treat, uh, only treatments uh, approved for treating COVID-19, and uh, it has an antiviral, I believe, has been derived from sea sponges. Mm -hmm. So, um, so uh, this is sort of the cross insights from industry, research, and regulators, uh, which is sort of the, I think, a key feature of this uh, this work. Mm. It, it, I really like the way you ended that, Stola, thinking about this cross-section or this coordination and collaboration across science, industry, regulatory bodies, UN bodies. It's really interesting that they all come together in the UN Global Compact and in this platform to look for how we can have a more resilient future. But this word resilience we talk about it all the time at the Stockholm Resilience Center. It's unavoidable for us. But I, I do wonder, and this is where I want to pass from you, Stola, to Leeson, is when you say the word resilience to business leaders, how do they understand this word? If you say the word resilience to 20 different business leaders, do they understand it in 20 different ways? And are they all more or less right or do they go in all directions? Well, so I believe that uh, in an overarching sense, 
resilience or in a broad sense, resilience is really inherent to life. It's the capacity to adapt and, and live with change and continue to develop in the face of change. So I think everyone who's alive has an experience of resilience. Um, but, uh, of course, as business leaders, uh, you're, you're really trained to uh, work towards optimization mm-hmm. and efficiency. Uh, and you're also trained to focus on your own company. And so I think what our program can provide is a broader systems perspective where you go uh, both um, towards um, thinking about your company in a larger context And also uh, from thinking about uh, just the climate to the biosphere as a whole and things like that. So Mm. I do think that people come in with, you know, on an overall sense, quite a shared understanding of resilience. But then when it comes to specifics, you definitely have 20 different definitions. And when you come out of the program, you have, again, a more uh, shared and nuanced understanding. Mm. It's really fascinating. And I also I always struggle to wrap my head around what it means and how it can help us in a situation like today. And I'd like to turn to you, Stola, and listening to Leeson just now talking about her engagement with corporate leaders, I, I'd be fascinated to hear your perspectives as well, because you have a rare um, combination of experience in the private sector as the CEO of a, of, of a large company and also uh, working in this new UN role. Uh, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on what does resilience mean to the people you're talking with on a daily basis? And it, has it been a useful tool as we've reacted to this crisis? Are people thinking in the short term, in the medium and the long term, or are they just thinking about crisis response? <laughs> 32 different or, questions, Stola. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no problem. Just to, uh, to, to Lisa's uh, response, mm-hmm. I, I fully agree with her. And I think that sort of, uh, there are sort of uh, several aspects to this, uh, uh, in addition to your, <laughs> or maybe categorizing your 32 questions. Uh, there are different aspects to this. I think that sort of, from a company perspective, there are sort of three obvious uh, uh, levels. One is, your uh, your uh, strategy and business model, which basically is sort of you have to test it. Are you on the right side of history? I mean, are you are you conducting a business? Do you have a value proposition, which is viable? Huh? Mm-hmm. That's a sort of first level of uh, of business uh, resilience. The second one is more related to risk mitigation. Huh? Mm-hmm. Are you sort of do you have uh, are you building or do you have an organizational capacity competence uh, which provides for adaptation and agility if uh, your business environment is uh, is uh, changing. And thirdly also, I think that um, uh, it's about uh, uh, contingency, contingency planning. Mm-hmm. Huh? Uh, how do you respond uh, to, to these, uh, these situations? For instance, do you, as a crew, as an airline company, do you have sort of cash reserves to be able to withstand a sudden drop in uh, in demand for uh, for a certain period of time mm-hmm. obviously not many of them but i think that also uh, i think that we are sort of facing also more systemic challenges huh? mm-hmm. and that i think uh, what has been a surprise to me is how surprising this pandemic has uh, sort of uh, uh, been to to politicians and to the business community, uh, even though it has been on the top three list of uh, threat scenarios uh, for decades. Mm. And, and, and just 
briefly, I think that how business has organized itself with very vulnerable value chains, long, slim, and with very, um, very few shock absorbers. It's been cost efficiency, just in time deliveries, not uh, uh, value chain mm. um, uh, resilience. But also, I think, and that may be a separate uh, topic for discussion, how the society of which you are part is important for your business uh, 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 and business development. Mm -hmm. We see now very different responses from different political systems uh, around the world. And that, I think, is a a wake-up call for Mm -hmm. business leaders, the intrinsic relationship between society and business. Hmm. It's still fantastic. You got all 32 questions within just a couple (laughs) of minutes. And I wanted to pick up on that final point about this diversity of responses and pass to Leeson, because you've been working with this executive program for several years now. And you must also be, I think, benefiting from seeing how participants engaged before the pandemic started, and also now welcoming a new cohort of, um, of participants with that new awareness of the fragility of our economic system, how have things changed over these years? And do you see that your participants are coming back again um, and asking you more questions as they're hit with these new challenges in their operations? Well, I agree very much with you, Sturla, that this pandemic has really uh, provided a, a very personal experience for each and everyone on the interconnected challenges that we face and our dependence on the biosphere and on societies and how we can no longer take the resilience of those systems that we depend on for granted but we actually have to all contribute to building the resilience not only of our companies but of the systems we're part of so I think that's that's one thing and um when I talk with, with the participants, both previous and, and new ones coming in, about what the pandemic has meant to their companies and their strategies, they all say that it has only accelerated mm-hmm. uh, the transition towards sustainability for them, for, for them because they've you know, really been able now to take the chance to do changes that they had already in the pipeline. Uh, they, the investors say that the ESG um, investments have really you know, been a winning team. Uh, but the companies that were just starting their journey and who needed, you know, a big reorganization, mm-hmm. you know, a rethink of purpose and, mm-hmm. and strategy and so on, they've had to put that on hold for day-to-day mm-hmm. survival. Mm-hmm. And they say that their strategy hasn't shifted, but their tactic has. Mm-hmm. So it's... it's. Um, but I think it's very encouraging to see these movements also from, from the business uh, on building back better and mm-hmm. uh, calls for a green recovery and so on. Yeah. So I think we have a, a fantastic opportunity now to, to build on that momentum and, and create a, an economy that supports people and the biosphere. Yeah. I, uh, can I just follow up on that, Lisa? Because I, I really like the way you've communicated that because a, a lot of times I hear there needs to be extra sensitivity now in engaging with corporations and companies because they are going through something unprecedented. How can you ask them to be thinking about climate change also or biodiversity loss also? But from what you're saying, it sounds like there's almost a silver lining for some of these companies because things that they've been prioritizing already now are becoming more obviously important. Is is that a fair characterization or how is that looking absolutely and i of course as everyone else there in february march when the pandemic hit 
uh, felt, you know, like the future was a fog. And, mm. you know, what does this mean for us? Can can we do the executive program uh, this fall or should we postpone it? And after some time, uh, I decided to just in, at least invite people into it again. And, and you know, we're focusing on CEOs and chairpersons po- of, of large and influential companies. And so thinking that they would actually take out time in this time of survival mode to focus on learning about sustainability and resilience felt a bit like, you know, a stretch. Mm. But we were overwhelmed by the responses. And we have now 16 leaders who are really dedicated and who feel that now is the time when they really need to develop their compass so that they can navigate through this Mm. crisis based on science and based on on exchange of experience and calibration, you know, between uh, the leaders uh, in this uh, in this time. So I think that's very encouraging to see that that response. Sterla, I'd like to turn to you to a very concrete example, because I know with the UN Global Compact Ocean Platform, you've been working for a couple of years now already on a, a an exciting uh, platform of work. But when the COVID-19 pandemic hits, I, I thought, oh, well, maybe that puts everything on hold. But quite the opposite. It seems like at that point, the, the question was, well, what more can we do at this stage? And can you talk about this first sprint that was organized under the UN Global Compact's uh, COVID-19 task force on seafarers and uh, why this is so important and what the current context is of this challenge? More than 80% of the world uh, uh, of world international trade is carried by by ships and and uh, maritime activities are are vitally important for both food uh, production and energy production. Now, with the closed borders, um, confined uh, uh, activities in uh, and some closed uh, uh, ports as well, uh, grounded air uh, grounded airplanes, the fleet uh, with uh, uh, 1.2 million uh, merchant mar- uh, mariners suddenly had a huge logistical uh, problem, which has also turned out to be a humanitarian uh, problem. Mm-hmm. As we speak today, there are something like 400,000 seafarers long overdue for uh, uh, crew change. Um, their contracts uh, expired, uh, and an equivalent number of people uh, eager to earn their uh, their living, but uh, but unable to to substitute uh, substitute uh, those on board. And this is not sort of something that can be resolved by a single company or by sort of a bilateral agreement between a company or a uh, or a uh, uh, a country or between a small group of countries. Because uh, if you are to move 1.2 million or 200,000 uh, seafarers off ship and 200 on ships every month, uh, it's a huge logistical uh, operation. So uh, there we needed sort of the best competences and insights from different stakeholders, from the business community, from the regulators, from the insurance company, from the uh, airline industries. Everybody needed to be involved in this. That is uh, how we use the convening power of the UN because uh, this is only possible to, to solve at the very highest level. I'm going to turn to you, Lisen, because I know in your executive program, you probably spend the whole time answering really tough questions from your participants. And I, I, when I listen to Stöller talk about the scale of this challenge facing the shipping industry, 
and the scale of the reliance on international supply chains on this um, on this functioning smoothly, I think this it sounds like a recipe for disaster that was known for a long time. So now there's some clarity, I think, also as we try to make the most of a very difficult situation. But in your own engagement with these business leaders, how would you address such a challenging issue and how would you communicate to your participants the importance of dealing with issues of this scale or how would they be able to prioritize these? I'm sorry, it's 32 questions again, Lisa, and I'm a, it's a bad habit today, but uh, good luck. No, but these are these are very big issues, of course, and and I think that drawing uh, on, on the principles for resilience that have developed for a very long time, decades of, of research on how you actually create resilient systems that can uh, address uh, surprise and uncertainty and and uh, interconnected challenges, I think is actually really helpful. Uh, although it can also be abstract, but some of my favorites are are then of course um, you know the importance of of learning and participation or collaboration that you cannot address challenges like this alone, and there is no fixed. Mm. Uh, you know, quick fix, but it's something you have to navigate through together and learn as you go. Uh, you're better together. Uh, and the other thing uh, is uh, response diversity and functional redundancy. So response diversity is this um, portfolio of options that, that you can re- have, you know, a setup where you have um, the capacity to respond in many different ways to different challenges that come up. And also uh, functional redundancy is that you have actually overlapping functions mm-hmm. so that when something fails, you have, you know, another uh, thing uh, coming in. And, and those things you need to develop in good times. You have mm-hmm. to have them in place mm-hmm. when the crisis hits. Um, and um, so I think that the third thing you can learn from is also this adaptive cycle that's mm-hmm. developed in resilience thinking, where you think that, you know, in good times you need to develop the capacity to deal with, you know, more challenging times. Um, and, and when a crisis hit like this, it's also an opportunity to implement some of those ideas that you had prepared mm-hmm. uh, before. So just being aware that the world is complex and surprising and uncertain and to try and live with that uh, together with others is sort of the the basic message i fully concur with what lisa is uh, saying and it uh, it's uh, sort of fully consistent with my own experience as a as a ceo you know leadership in a sense it's not uh, as much about being sort of that smart or that analytical or single-minded uh, with a single-minded focus i think that uh, leadership uh, is sort of so many different aspects, uh, human aspects, business aspects, your your ability to, to navigate in a, in a society and be a responsible actor in a society. And I think in particular in times like this, uh, of course, your leadership is put to a, a, a stress test. Mm-hmm. And I think that for what characterizes leadership is sort of, you're not faced with sort of single problems, you're faced with sets of dilemmas. Uh, which I have to deal with, and that mm. uh, that sort of uh, requires wisdom, lateral thinking, uh, judgment, uh, uh, in in a sense, and uh, and also, as Lisen alludes, I think sort of uh, different and differentiated responses uh, compared to a more uh, normal uh, situation. And then I also think that in this current situation, I think uh, that very many. Leaders now are now facing both personal but also 
organizational fatigue mm. because this pandemic is not over yet. It's not sort of a short term thing. It will uh, last for a long time and it will be sort of an endurance test uh, on, uh, on many levels. Mm. But that said, it also provides for some um, uh, big opportunities, uh, I think, for very many, uh, many companies, uh, maybe also in, in personal lives, but for many companies, because what is really inducing change in my uh, in my um, uh, experience is not sort of these hairy ambitions. Mm. Uh, what is really inducing change is the acceptance in the organization that status quo is not uh, uh, a viable option. You cannot sort of continue to do what you always have been doing in the same manner. Mm. So now you have an unprecedented opportunity to make a change and as a leader uh, your uh, your um, prime responsibility is of course to maintain optimism and energy in the organization and then guide and invite discussions about direction the direction of this uh, this change mm. It, somehow it all sounds so simple when the two of you describe it, but I, I know it's anything but. Um, I'd like to ask you both for some personal reflection, just to take off the hat of the CEO, take off the hat of the educator for a moment. But before that, I just want to ask one final question to you, Lisa, and it's something that I've, I've talked with Sterla about before. One of the things that's really inspired me about the Global Compact work is that there's been a, I think, through this COVID-19 pandemic, there's been a breakdown of the wall that or the barriers that are kind of separating people or separating organizations or separating industries even. So there's been unprecedented collaboration and coordination and cooperation as a result. So it's some sort of little silver lining in the midst of all of the challenges. How do we hold on to that even after the pandemic is done and gone, mm. hopefully sooner rather than later? How can we keep those barriers low and keep that flow of cooperation and coordination happening? Yeah, well, first of all, I really agree. I've, I've seen you know co companies stepping in and helping uh, authorities with logistics or hospitals with uh, packed lunches. And I've seen uh, initiatives where you've quickly trained uh, flight attendants to become healthcare workers mm. and and all of these you know fantastic initiatives that people take um, when they see a meaningful meaningful way to contribute. And I think the way we nurture that is really through, you know, remembering that. And, you know, now we all have a personal experience of, of being in that crisis mode mm -hmm. and, and reaching out and, and doing something together. Mm -hmm. And I think the relationships that were built now will, will carry on. Um, but then also to remember that collaboration and uh, participation is costly and time consuming. Mm -hmm. You cannot always do it um, and it's not always needed either uh, so maintaining the relationships and then activating them uh, when you really need them uh, mm -hmm. for something purposeful mm -hmm. I think it's the, the key mm -hmm. uh, Thank you so much Lisa for that thought and I, I'd like to invite you both now first to you Sterla but I'd like you to as I said just take off your hats and think just as another member of the human race and another member of the public that's dealing with these very stressful, unprecedented times. 
Do you have any final thoughts you'd like to share about what's important at a time like this or where we need to go as a group? Sure. I think maybe the, the, the sort of most universal uh, uh, learning that we can have from this is uh, how dependent we are on each other. Hmm. That no man or woman is an island, no company is an island, and there are no sort of countries which can deal with this uh, situation uh, by itself. Hmm. So it's a, it's a sort of a massive call for collaboration, cooperation, and, and for that we need sort of a high level of trust. We need facts-based uh, um, uh, knowledge. Uh, we need uh, transparent uh, decisions, everything which is building trust uh, within a society and between stakeholders. And I think as such, it can be sort of a, a learning exercise for, uh, for uh, the big questions, uh, more existential uh, challenges uh, that we are facing in climate change and environmental degradation. Mm-hmm. So I think that uh, I hope I hope that this will sort of be a steep learning curve for many people. Mm-hmm. My spontaneous thought was this mutual interdependence that that mm-hmm. that Sturla so beautifully beautifully alluded to, and my conclusion from that is to nurture relationships, um, those those relationships that we have between each other, but also to the biosphere, mm-hmm. and to start collaborate not only with each other but with the whole living world. Uh, for the benefit of all. So I think that's that's uh, my conclusion from, from this pandemic, how important relationships are. I, I can't think of a better note to end on. And I'd just like to thank you both so much. Thank you, Lisen. Thank you, Sturla, for a really exciting conversation. And uh, fingers crossed that we're on the best possible path and we have brighter days ahead. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you, Robert and Lisen. You have listened to Rethink Talks, a podcast series produced by the Stockholm Resilience Center at Stockholm University. For more episodes, head over to our website, rethink.earth, and don't forget to subscribe.